What we've been doing since January is we've been going through our core values as a denomination and also as a church. And the reason we're doing this is because when we started the plant, we were not part of this denomination, but we became a part of this denomination because of how much they supported us, how much they loved us, how much they poured into us. And what we have realized that as a leadership team, the same thing that we had valued was the very same thing that our denomination values. And so the first one we said was what? What about lost people? Lost people what? Matter. Lost people matter to God because we are all lost. At some point in our lives, we are all lost. And God sent His Son to find us. Is that true? Yes. Yes. Second, prayer is the primary work of God's people. One of the hardest things for being a driven guy, being a guy of energy, a guy who likes to see results, is realizing that prayer is the primary work of God. That no matter how much I do, no matter how much I act, no matter how much I pour energy into something, unless it is prayed up and prayed over and prayed through and prayed some more, unless it's God's desire, it'll never happen. But we pray for people because God loves lost people. The saving is not separation. The saving is, is like a father who lost their child in the airport and run, running after them and was going to find them no matter what. The third one was everything belongs to God. And we are his students. That's a tough one. We did talk about money last week. And it's funny because whenever I talk about it, you always feel this weird vibe in the room. And I'm just like, oh, get me off the stage now. But it's one of those things, and it's true, that everything I have, my children, my house, my cars, my crazy dog that barks all my neighbors, and all my finances, every success, everything I've ever obtained, everything is his. Imagine if we believe that. Imagine if we believe that. Imagine how our lives would look. Imagine how much more freedom we would have. Imagine how much more generous we would be, not just with others, but even with our own children. Imagine that. And number four is knowing and obeying God's word is where all success lies. Knowing and obeying God's word is where all success lies. We're going to do something a little different today. There's a preacher that I know that does this every single week. And I'm like, oh, I feel like I just want to steal this from you, but I need to rewrite it. I want you to stand up. I want you to grab a Bible. Maybe your phone is what you read your Bible on. Hold your phone up. You're not worshiping your phone at this time. I mostly read my Bible on my iPad. I do all my study on my iPad, but let me have a to hold it. Smell the leather. You can't smell a phone. What I want you to do is I want you to hold your Bible up. We're going to read something that's on the screen that I wrote as I think about the Word of God. That this is what it is to me. Let's proclaim it loud. This is my Bible. It is God's breath spoken that I may be in life. It is my light as I walk through a dark world. It is my sword that I may defeat the lies that have been spoken over me. It tells me who I am as God's child. And it's filled with God's promise that are all given to me. Now look at that for a moment. 
Is that what the Bible is to you? Or is it devotional that you read for five minutes a day? This morning, we're going to look into God's Word. We're going to be challenged to truly, truly embrace that God's Word is living and breathing and sharper than any two-edged sword. The question is this. Are we really truly, to true, are we really truly able to do this? Grab a seat with me and open to Matthew 28, verse 18 through 19, 18 through 20. And this is the last word that Jesus had given to his disciples. Matthew 8, 28, 18 through 20. It says here in Scripture, this is at the end of Jesus' earthly life. He gathered his disciples, and, and this was it. This was the last words. These were the words that he was going to send them off before Pentecost. And it says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. Be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Now just stop with me. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. You see, this is an interesting point. Because when you look at the life of Jesus, we think that Jesus had come with a new teaching. Something that was opposite of the Old Testament. We think of what Jesus had brought with almost new words, different words, almost rearranged words. But that's not what Jesus did. And what Jesus had told his disciples is that the very word that you have been hearing me Speaking, and when you really study the words of Jesus, there's always a little B next to it, or an A next to it, or an F next to it, because that means in your concordance you're supposed to go see what it says in the Old Testament. Go teach them everything I commanded you. Because what Jesus had done was he took the Old Testament. And he brought the fulfillment of it. He took the Old Testament, he took Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, where it talks about healing and deliverance and people being set free from captivity. And he said, Now I have embodied it. He says, What I want you to do is, is as people see your acts of kindness, as people see your, the power displayed healing and deliverance and, and all these manifestations, I want you to teach them what I taught you. Turn with me to 2 Timothy 3.6 and here's why Jesus has said that. We're doing a lot of Bible reading this morning. I'm going to try to go through it quickly. And this is why Jesus said that. I talked about this in the fall. It says here in 2 Timothy 3.16, 
All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what's right. Look at that. Scream to yourself. You see, here's what Jesus knew. And this is what Jesus had identified. And this is why we take Jesus' words so seriously. It says, all scripture is inspired. Now, if you take that word inspired and you bring it to its original Greek language, it means God's breath. All scripture is God's breath. What did we say God's breath was in, in the fall? Do you guys remember that? Who did I say he was? The Holy Who? The Holy Spirit. And every word in Scripture is God breathed. The mystery is, is, is how did all this figure itself out? How did God translate his words and his hearts into the minds and hearts of his authors? But this is the game changer of God's word. This is actually the game changer of God's word. Is how you define what the Bible is. Is God's Bible a good instruction manual, right? Basic instructions before the earth, not the ideality. And that's what a lot of people think. It's a good instruction manual in how to be human. It's a good instruction manual if I need it and recognize that I am broken, then I can turn to it and God will speak to me in my simple, solitary need. Or is it this? Is it truly God's breath? His love journal to all of us to fully understand who we are in light of heaven. Because if we believe that all scripture is inspired, all scripture is God breathed, then it changes our worldview. It changes how we see things. It changes how we look at others. It changes how we look at our spouses and significant others. It changes how we treat our neighbor. It changes how we look at ourselves. It changes either the grace or guilt that we have chosen to put on or not put on ourselves because it's all defined in whether or not we truly understand that that is God's breath. And it's interesting because when you study Scripture, in the very beginning of the garden, God gets to the hearts of humanity. I'm going to say this. God created humanity's hearts. And so he brought right to God to humanity's heart when Scripture was written. God created humanity's hearts. And so right in Genesis, he went right to the heart of humanity to begin to deal with the brokenness of the choice of sin. Right away. They do three things. 
acceptance. We all strive for acceptance from others in some way. Significance. We all want to feel the sense of value, the sense of worth, the sense of accomplishment. Even if it's in relationships, there's this need for significance. But also security. Am I alone in this? Am I the one that's providing for myself? Am I the one that is in control of all things? And what Adam and Eve had, had done in Genesis chapter 3 was they challenged God's ability to give them significance, security, and acceptance. And all throughout Scripture, what God had done was he hunted humanity down to only reveal one thing, that he is their father. That's it. And all the father wants to do is give his children direction and hope and purpose and promise. And in the New Testament, what we have is the fulfillment of Scripture. That Jesus said that the fulfillment comes with the Holy Spirit, and he's going to deal with your issues of Security and significance and acceptance. Let's just go through a couple of them. Colossians 1, 21 through 22. Don't even look them up. I'm just going to throw them up here real quick. This is Colossians. This is dealing with acceptance. This includes you who are once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet, now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Amen? We were far from God. We chose to be far from God. Adam and Eve chose to be far from God. But in Christ, through Christ, by Christ, we are reconciled that there is nothing I can accomplish or do or be. I cannot pray enough. I cannot read enough. I can't manipulate God enough to accept me because it was all bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of this, there is not a single fault that keeps me separated from God. But what what, what about my there is not a single fault if you have come to Christ. Are you still struggling? Are you still broken? In Christ, we know that when we came in, that he forgave us and he accepted us. And now when we do things that separate us, we are quickly, we are quick to run to our heavenly Father for grace, forgiveness, and mercy. Knowing that my goal for there is not a single fault that separates me from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. Galatians 2.20, significance. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I can't do anything. When I come to Christ, I have surrendered my will. I have surrendered my drive as hard as it is. 
knowing that, let me give you an example. This week I got together with a business. And through Rotary, I've been able to go to some businesses and share and do some, some almost like life planning coaching stuff with a couple organizations. We have to do it for TD Bank, Joe Chinese and the guys. And I got to do it with another company today. I'm not today. And in that, I was sitting with him and his team. And we're doing this whole thing about dreaming and planning and having goals. And I turned to my buddy Terry. I said, Terry, you think that this drive is different to you by me? God birthed that in me. This is a total secular, secular business setting. But how do I, how do I contain it? If you're the guy that's wrestling with how he's doing things and what he's doing and where he's going and how many of the businesses do doing great about it, you feel this pull in this hug? This is God's gift. Not for you to strive after, but to literally embrace yourself and how God has created you. That's what it is. Now, I don't have to run after things and grab in the air, but God has created me in a certain way that in Him I am perfectly made whole, made new, made fresh. And some of these passions and God-given talents that are in me, in you, in each other, they are not yours crafted. They are God instilled. And the only thing that you've done is you've worked them out a little bit, like going to the gym. You've made them a little bigger, a little stronger, a little bit more active. But in all of that, no matter what I do for this church, no matter how big the church is, how small the church is, no matter how much we, we do, none of that means anything in the eyes of God. My significance cannot be found in what I do, but rather in who I am. Amen? Amen. And when you realize that God has given you talents and treasures and gifts, it's not about accomplishments. It's about accepting them and knowing that I'm going to live this place. No matter what I do or accomplish, they're all God's accomplishments. If God wants me to do huge things in this world, in the eyes, in the world's eyes, that's His problem. But I know this. He wants me to do huge things in his eyes, in my neighborhood, and in the kingdom, and in the world. No matter what you do, where you're at, or where you are. And the last one is security. Romans 8.39. Beautiful verse. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. It says earlier in this passage that, that no, nothing, no demons, no angels, nothing. We are in God's hands, in God's protection, in God's provision, but we are God's children. And God's word tells us that. But no matter how hard I work, no matter how much I try to save, no matter how much I try to Plan properly. This world will destruct you. Anyone ever have that happen to them? Right? Seriously. No matter what happens, no matter how much you plan and scheme and everything, this world will throw you a curveball. But if God is my security, nothing can be against me. Nothing can hold me back. Nothing, and listen to this, nothing can keep you from the promises of God. Nothing. 
I'm not going to read the passage because it's too long. I was going to, but I want to be fair on time with everyone. But in the temptation of Jesus, in the temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, read it, write it down, go read it. And next to each of the temptations, I wrote either significance, acceptance, or security. Next to the ones that match up with what Satan tried to tempt him. You know, that's all Satan did, is that when Satan stood before Jesus, after he knew he was at his most weakest, humanly points. Fully God, fully man. And there's this mystery that we'll never fully understand. We know he was fully God, but yet he was hungry and thirsty and he left. And at his weakest points, he challenged him. When you take it up to the, the temple, why don't you jump off? See if God will catch you. Let me take you up to the hill and let's look over the city. You see the city? You want some significance to your life? You want a kingdom? You want a kingdom for yourself? You're telling everyone that the kingdom of God is present, that the kingdom of God is amongst them, and all these people are going to believe that you are the king of the kingdom. So let me show you a kingdom that you can have today and you don't have to wait through to a death and a resurrection, and all these things that are already talked about in the Old Testament. After 40 days of not eating, he says, hey, look at you a piece of bread. Why don't you, why don't you nibble on this? Just recognize that gives you. And we almost think like in, in like in like movie world, that Satan came up, and they just walked up at one time and said, hey, look at this one, look at this one. And Jesus went into like this acid tripping, tripping Jesus, like we see in the 1970s. Jesus, it says, was what? Tempted. Yet never gave in. I bet you during those 40 days that Satan was strategic and known exactly when he hit Jesus with these specific conditions. But every time Satan said something to him, what did he use? It is written. Amen. And you look what it was written. Deuteronomy, Psalm 91, Deuteronomy chapter 9. Look at it, the little A, B, F, C, whatever it is next to each one of them. It'll bring you back to Deuteronomy chapter 9. It'll bring you to Psalm 91. That every time that he was tempted, what he did was he used God's word and he spoke God's word to the lie of men. Because the only thing that Satan can do to you, he cannot physically grab you and pull you into places. He cannot physically embrace you and keep you from promises of God. What he does is he lies. He's a liar. He's a father of all what? Where did we learn that from? The Bible. Every lie you've ever believed is not from you. It's from Him. And all Jesus used was the Word of God. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. We're getting a lot of pastors today. I promise you I did not drink coffee. I'm just jacked up. Philippians chapter 4. Look what it says here. Another thing we talked about Hebrews, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Same thing we talked about in the fall, right? Holy Spirit mix. Here we go. 
For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. This morning I'm meditating on this. It exposes our innermost thoughts and what? Think about Adam and Eve. What did Satan tempt Adam and Eve? Their innermost thoughts and desires. What did Satan try to tempt Jesus with? The promise of God. That's all he did. He manipulated Jesus' purpose. And right away, Jesus knew that that's what Satan was done. Why he was created. Why he was taken off the throne and brought to earth to walk this brutal, horrific life. And what scripture does, it says, search me, O God, and know my thoughts. In other ways, expose my deeds, my innermost being. That was David. Have you ever read Psalm 51 after David committed adultery? It wasn't a bunch of deeds and vows and hopes and whatever. It was just heart authentic writing. Because he knew that God gave him a promise. He knew that God gave him a kingdom to stand on. He knew that everything he had and had done and had accomplished was from God. And in one moment when he was supposed to be out at where? At war. He went to the battle. Because he got a little too comfortable in his house. And that's what we did. We got a little too comfortable in our houses. Believe me. That what we are living in and what we are creating is ours. And that gift from God. The sword is one of two things, offensive and offensive. If you read the Bible, it teaches about life and stories. And I love that meeting a new believer who just dives into it. One of the things I love most importantly about when Josh and I started meeting five years ago, at first, like, yeah, this is the Bible, whatever, taking the, the downstairs. And then all of a sudden, you started reading it. And then you reread it. And then you reread it. And then you reread it. I see this with other guys. Mike Stanley, the same thing, reading and rereading, and telling me from things from Scripture that are not to protect them, but to get them energized and excited. I want to be like David. I want to fight Goliath. I want to be walking through Radical Reservation, and these bears come at me, and I just pick up a stick and just beat it full. It's just attacking me. I want to be like that. I want to have that manliness that we read in Scripture. We think that, that the Bible like, almost defunds men and women and makes them a bunch of robots. It doesn't. It empowers them to live the life that they were created to be. And that Scripture also does something. And it allows us to be defensive. It says today the Super Bowl. Defense wins championships. True. You can have the greatest offense in the world, but if your defense is laying up more points, you what? Lose. And so scripture 
needs to be to us what it was to Jesus. Let me read through a, a couple real quick. Not um, Romans 5, 1. Acceptance. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have, been, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. I am not saved by works so I can boast. I am saved by faith. So when the devil tells me that you don't do enough, you don't act enough, you don't perform enough, you aren't present enough, you aren't this, all these little lies, I can say, you know what? It's not about what I do, it's about who I am. Because when I know who I am, I am motivated to live a life for Jesus Christ. You will sin. It's not what you do, it's not that you have sinned, it's what you do after you sin. Seven times a man falls, seven times a man picks himself up. Proverbs, I read that every single day. Because I know in my humanism, I will make mistakes. But every time I fall, I am saved by faith. And because of my faith in Jesus Christ, it's not what I do so that I can boast, but I can stand up before the living God and the accuser of my brethren and say, you know what? I messed up. I'm human. You know what I'm going to do now? I'm going to learn to walk stronger and tighter with Jesus. Because every time I sin, all I reveal is my need for Jesus more. That's it. More of Him. And more of Him means better for everyone else. It means better for my wife and for my children, for, for the people that I work with, for my neighbors. Let me give you one more. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9. Be the last one. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we salvation not done love. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. It says in scripture where there's going to be a day of judgment. And someone's going to say, Oh Lord, haven't I prophesied? Haven't I stood up in front of churches? Haven't I done these things? Haven't I, I, I? And Jesus says, what you have done for the least of these and what you have not done for the least of these. It's not what I do. It's who he is in me and how I am accepted as his child. Salvation is free. Matthew chapter 6, security. Look at the lilies of the field. Look at them. Let's go out to the mountains. Let's go to Colorado. Let's go to, let's go to Tucson. Let's look over and see the beauty. I almost feel like God's taking us there and saying, hey, let's go look at the landscape. Look how beautiful this is. You see those wild mustangs? You see, you see the antelope? You see the buffalo? You see how I provide for them? I'm going to provide for you even better. So when I'm caught up in what do I do with my finances, how I live my life, how I find significance, how I find acceptance, it's not what I believe about Rob, Rocky Balboa style. It's how I believe about God that's written from God's holy word. That's it. If we would truly embrace His Word, the 
It's his word. You would see a whole lot of change in your life. If I would actually understand what this actually is, that this is not just a bunch of words written on paper, but it's actually God's Spirit that was spoken to humanity and written down every single word that was given to me so I can live in the fullness of Jesus Christ and that I can live a life to its fullest. It's a game changer. It's a game changer. It doesn't mean you're going to Africa to be a missionary. It doesn't mean that you're going to Zimbabwe or wherever. It means that God's created you specifically for something, and that something is to love Him and know that you are loved by Him, just like you want your children to know that you love them and accept them right where they're at. And He wired each one of us differently. Some are construction people, some are teachers, some own businesses, some do different things, some are ministers, some are retired. But it's in this that we can fully embrace God's full call. And that's it. That's it. His word is a lamp to my feet in a dark moment. His word is a sword that allows me to live a victorious his word tells me about the promises that are all for me. Not some, not a few, not a couple, maybe, you know, maybe a handful that all, say with me, all, all, all of his promises are true for you today. Period. End of story. And you need to get out of the suburban theological mindsets. That your acceptance and your significance and security comes by you. It is the lie of suburbia. It is the lie of our counties and our cultures. It is the lie that we've been taught and we've bought into. Because when we buy into that lie, we diminish this. We weaken this. We shortchange this. And we do not take the value for what it is. I promise you. If you spend time in prayer and you read your word, you will see a change in life. Your marriage will be healed. Amen? Your work situation will be dealt with. Amen? Your finances will be in order and you will be a person who thrives. Amen? Your innermost darkest secrets will be healed. Amen? God will transform you to know his good, pleasing, and purpose. Yeah. Romans chapter 12.